Psalm 31. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Free me from the trap that is set for me. For you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Redeem me, O Lord, the God of truth. I hate those who cling to worthless idols. I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in your love. For you saw my affliction and knew the anguish of my soul. You have not handed me over to the enemy, but have set my feet in a spacious place. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak and with sorrow. My soul and my body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fa fails because of my affliction. and My bones grow weak. Because of my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbours. I am a dread to my friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. I am forgotten by them as though I were dead. I've become like broken pottery, for I hear the slander of many. There is terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from my enemies and from those who pursue me. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. Let me not be put to shame, O Lord, for I have cried out to you. But let the wicked be put to shame and lie silent in the grave. Let their lying lips be silenced. For with pride and contempt, they speak arrogantly against the righteous. How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you bestow in the sight of men on those who take refuge in you. In the shelter of your presence, you hide them. For it intrigues from the intrigues of men. In your dwelling, you keep them safe from accusing tongues. Praise be to the Lord, for he showed his wonderful love to me when I was besieged in a city. In my alarm, I said, I am cut off from your sight. Yet you heard my cry for mercy when I called to you for help. Love the Lord, all his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but the proud he pays back in full. Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Here ends the reading. Morning, everyone.
Let's pray. And gracious and heavenly Father, we uh, thank you. Thank you that we can gather together. <clears throat> we thank you that we have such a privilege to know you, that you have filled us with your spirit that we might know you and know each other through you and with you together. And so we pray as we look at your word, Lord, you would help us, teach us, train us, correct us, rebuke us, encourage us, make us your people, show us your ways and keep me from error, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 31 is another lament psalm. So uh, you're thinking, what is it with Keith and his lament psalms? Well, it's just, uh, well, 13, 31, they're almost the same. And if you're not careful, you get them mixed up and put them around the wrong way. Again, as I mentioned, I think I mentioned last week, the lament is not something that we do. It's not something what we know. So I'm hoping that you uh, are acquainted with models of prayer and of life, a life that is in Christ, a life that rejoices in God's control and love and yet has a place for lament. And as they have those situations, as uh, in this case and last week, David faces those situations He has a way to process them. He has a way to process them in prayer with his God. And it is a real pattern which we can take hold of, use, and something, as I say, the church has lost hold of, really. David is trying to work through a crisis in his life. He has a number of crises, of course, and this one is very close to him. It turns out that his crisis is his own son, Absalom. Absalom has entered Jerusalem and he's there to kill his father. He's there to take the crown and to become king himself. If you would like to find that story, and maybe you're bored with me so you could read it, uh, 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel verse 15. Absalom has his supporters as well. It's not just himself. He's organised a whole bunch of people. There are always people around uh, kingdoms and thrones. If you watch those things where Henry VIII's are there or something like that, there's always people plotting and parties. Nothing has changed. That's the way of our world. And David faces a coup. A coup d'etat. Who is behind the coup? David's own son. I want you to feel the tension in that. I want you to know the emotional strings that are being pulled and how hurtful that would be to have your own son plotting your demise. History uh, has these examples of exactly this happening. David is distraught. But firstly, he expresses in his prayer, as he comes to prayer, he expresses his first, his confidence and trust, which is his first 
three verses of this psalm. He begins the psalm by expressing his confidence and trust in the Lord. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Never let me be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. David, right at the start of his prayer, reminds himself and gives us the picture of that bedrock of assurance and confidence he has. Where does he have it? In his good looks, in his ability to speak, in his be able to organise to fight this? No, the confidence and assurance rests in his God. His bedrock is the Lord. He trusts in him. It's alone in him he's placing his trust. He finds himself powerless against the schemes of others. With his own son part of this conspiracy, he's driven to his knees. And in prayer, he asks the Lord. He asks that, Lord, he would save him, deliver him. It's a deliverance that he thinks will be everlasting. He will have everlasting shame if this doesn't happen, which sounds a bit dramatic. But uh, I don't know about you, but we've just read it, Psalm 31. We're still reading about it. I'd say he's right. Everlasting shame. It's a great shame on his name. David's own son wants him dead. Now, uh, we all put up your hand if you're a parent. Do you have a You're a parent? Uh, That means you've got children. I've worked that out. Uh, You can't help but feel responsible. You can't help but feel somehow it reflects on you the way your children act. People who have children who have committed great acts of violence, great crimes of horrendous, of a horrendous nature, often feel enormous shame. David feels that shame of his own son plotting his own demise. And he wants God to hear him, to deliver him, to be his protection, to be his safe place in the midst of this tsunami that's about to hit him. Verse 2, turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. As we said, David's physical safety is threatened. His life is threatened. And so God, he is saying, be my rock, be my fortress. This is hard for me to take. I don't know where to go. I don't know how I'm going to stand up, but be there for me. Be my place where I know security and love. Be my rock in a house of defence. But notice verse 3, since You are my rock and my fortress. He actually knows that he already has it. 
And so what he's doing in this prayer and what we do often in prayer, isn't it? We remind ourselves and we declare what we already know. We ask for it, but we declare at the same time and give thanks to God for what we already know we have in him. He has a rock. He has a fortress. He has a refuge where he can be safe. This is how we ought to pray as well. God is our provider. And yet we're, that prayer in the Lord's Prayer, do you remember the Lord's Prayer? It's a little prayer. Do we ever say that anymore, Lord's Prayer? Do you remember, have you heard of it? Lord's Prayer. Uh, there's lots of different versions of it. But one of the versions, or maybe I think all of the versions has in it, give us today our daily bread. It's, a, it's an interesting thing. We know that God provides. God will provide. He does provide. Yet we, the prayer asked to provide. David's doing that here. Be my rock. Be my fortress. Be my strength, my refuge, my hope. And he knows that's already there. In the turmoil of the tsunami of the midst of what's coming upon you, of what's coming upon him, what even came upon Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, you see that he reminds himself of those truths. David urges himself to remember and to know. And then he urges the Lord, keep me safe from the trap, verse 4, that is set for me, for you are my refuge. David is praying that he would be saved from his own son. What a terrible tragedy that is to actually have to say that sentence. Absalom has secretly worked out a coup. He secretly gathered people little by little until he had enough men to get rid of his father, to overthrow him. Probably overthrow means death. That's dramatic. That's the Game of Thrones type stuff. Not that I haven't watched it because it's unsuitable and drama bores me. But apart from that, it's that sort of plot, I think. David asked God at the end of verse 4 to bring him to a place of safety, a place the Lord himself is pictured as actually being. <laughs> Again, that, that bring me to safety. Thank you that you are my safety. The two go together because we need to draw on those things. We need to remind ourselves of the things. Our spirit needs to cry those things. David then, after expressing that, expresses his confidence, verse 5 to 8. That's the second point for today, his confidence in verses 5 to 8. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord my faithful God. Now, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Have you heard that before? Bonnie said, no, she's nodding. No one else is nodding. No one's ever heard of it before. It's a bit like the Lord's Prayer. No one knows. It's Jesus' last statement on the cross, isn't it? Luke 23, verse 46. It's David expressing his confidence it's Jesus expressing his confidence in his sovereign 
the Lord's sovereign control, his father's sovereign control of all that is happening to him. And that's what David's doing here. David is giving his spirit into his God's hands for safekeeping because he is his rock. He's his fortress. He's his refuge and strength. David is confident that God will rescue him. He confesses his trust in God alone, despite what others do or urge him to do in verse 6. So he will be glad and rejoice, he says, in your love. There he is, joy, the utter joy. I will be glad and rejoice. Despite all the tsunami that is happening, despite the tragedy of this situation, despite the, you must be feeling quite depressed, surely, when these sort of things happen. Your own son, flesh and blood. David rejoices and is glad because he rejoices in God's love. God is not aloof from David's problems. The Lord has seen and he knows all about them. Though Absalom plots in secret, God knows all. Being in adversity is, does not mean for David, does not mean for us that God has forgotten. That's why David keeps declaring those things to himself. Because why? Because when those things are happening to you, when the tsunami swirls around you, you go, well, God has hidden his face from me. There's something wrong. Maybe I've done something wrong. Maybe he doesn't like me anymore. Maybe he's forgotten about me. The evil one suggests all sorts of reasons to break that relationship. And the prayer and this lament reminds David himself, you are with him. He is with you. And we're to be reminded that in the midst of the turmoil and struggles and strife that might be happening to us, God is with us. He is aware of us. He knows our trouble. He knows our soul. And especially when times of great distress. And David continues to communicate his confidence in verse 8. You have not given me into the hands of the enemy, but have set my feet in a spacious place. Now, a spacious place is a, one of those interesting translations, which sort of sounds a bit weird, doesn't it? Spacious place. What it's trying to say and what that Hebrew word says is, instead of being constricted, you have given me freedom. Instead of being captured, I've been given place to roam and to flourish and to be. You have not given me into the hands, but have set me free. It's a rejoicing, a rejoicing from verse 7. David takes comfort in God's loyal love and God's intimate knowledge of him and his situation. David is confident that God will not let him slip into the hands of his enemies, but rather that the Lord will deliver him from his enemies.
These things are all here. And he's confident that what he declares is true for my God, my refuge, my strength, my hope, my future, that God will give him and deliver him. But those hard things are still there, and he expresses them in verses 9 to 13, which is a lament. David airs his complaint that he needs God's help to overcome. So in the prayer, it's like this. Lord, you are there. Lord, you are great. We know that you are always with us. You will never leave us. You will never abandon us. You will always know me because of Jesus. I thank you that I am known and wonderfully made, that I have a place in you, and that can never go. But, Lord, I am confident in this, confident that you have because of what you did for me in Jesus. But then this, be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. David acknowledges what's going on for him. All these things are true. It'd be You're not really human if they're not. And he asks for grace. He feels constricted. He feels bound. He feels afflicted with great trouble. And these emotions are having an effect on his body, his physical aspects, which is what happens. If you're in great distress, then it starts to come out physically, doesn't it? He says, it's my eyes, my soul, my belly, well, his stomach or whatever. I don't know what's going on there, but something. He's feeling the affliction, the effects, ugh, the effects of this affliction. It's hard to say, the effects of his affliction. He is feeling sick with grief and worry. It's a despair, and it would threaten to overtake you. And if you've ever been in despair or great distress, you know those times where it threatens to over, you feel like you're being washed over by it, consumed by it, covered by it, surrounded by it. His life is close to being over. His son, Absalom, is leading that rebellion. Why is all of this happening? 2 Samuel 15 tells us. David owns up to the fact that uh, this is all because of his own sin, his own iniquity, as we like to say. David's sin with Bathsheba and against her husband Uriah has brought this great disaster upon himself, we find out in 2 Samuel 15. This is God's chastening, and this chastening has never left David's house. It never left him till David's death. David's sin means he's surrounded by his enemies, some who were friends, neighbours and acquaintances, suddenly change sides and become enemies and worse. As David was fleeing Jerusalem and many of his close friends and acquaintances, they abandoned him. Because of this wide-scale abandonment, David says, verse 12, I am forgotten at 12 of 
2 Samuel 15, I have forgotten as I were dead. I become like broken pottery, for I hear many whispering terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. David feels totally forsaken because he feels like a broken vessel. What do you do with things that are broken? If you can't fix them, that is. <laughs> I don't know. We just chuck them. You throw them in the bin. You bin it. David feels discarded on any side. And uh, if you've ever read the book of Jeremiah, terror on every side is a very familiar phrase. It occurs five times in the book of Jeremiah, terror on every side. It's one of his catch cries. And the only other time that word that phrase appears in the Bible is in 2 Samuel 15 with David. He feels terror on every side. In Jeremiah, it was about the Babylon invading the land and bringing death and destruction. For David, Rahir, it means his son, about to kill him and to take his throne. And that's the lament. That's the terror which he expresses. But he goes back to confidence, which is the fourth point, more confidence in verses 14 to the first part of 15. 15A, as we call them, the biz. Are you ever familiar with that? 15A, 15B. Every now and then we get to see D if we're really lucky. But uh, 15A, this dramatic crescendo of horror that David again expresses his confidence, but I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God, my time, my times are in your hands. When the tremendous tsunami seeks to overcome you and drown you, you have to remind yourself, I trust in you. You, oh Lord, you are my God. It's that correction of confidence which again renews us, raises our eyes, changes our focus from what's going on around us to what he has done in the person of Jesus. And so with that reminder, he goes on to ask, Verse 15, petition. Do you like that word, petition? We never use it much. But anyway, it means ask, ask. Verses 15b to 18, deliver me, save me from the arrogant of wicked and wicked. May their evil come to nothing. 15b, deliver me from the hands of my enemies. For those who pursue me, let your face shine on your servant. Save me with your, in your unfailing love. Let me not be put to shame, Lord, for I've cried out to you, but let the wicked be put to shame. Be silent in the realm of the dead. Let their lying lips be silenced, for with pride and contempt they speak angry, arrogantly against the righteous. Save me, rescue me, hold me in your unfailing love. You might have thought that was a New Testament sentence where Jesus has an unfailing and unending love. Well, here it is. It's always there. The believer 
whom God has sought, saved, rescued, and whom he knows always has that hope that wherever they are, whatever is happening to you, you are held in God's unfailing love. The tsunami whirls, but we are to remind ourselves of God's unfailing love for us, shown to us in the person of Jesus. Save me, rescue me. Which leads to the sixth point of this psalm, verses 19 to 24, which is praise and confidence. He closes these last six verses. It's all an expression of praise and confidence. How great is your goodness that you've stored up for those who fear you, that you bestow on the side of all, for on those who take refuge in you, in the shelter of your presence, you hide them from all the human intrigues. You keep them safe in your dwelling from accusing tongues. Praise be to the Lord, for he showed me the wonders of his love when I was in the city of sea, city under siege. In my alarm, I said, I am cut off from sight. You heard my cry for mercy when I called to you for help. Lord, love the Lord, all his faithful people. The Lord preserves those who are true to him, but the proud he pays back in full. Be strong and take heart all you who hope in the Lord. In the end, this psalm is about be strong and take heart. We were reminded, aren't we, that uh, Jesus is the living stone. He was the cornerstone. He is the cornerstone of the building that he is building in our lives, that we are in our lives are being built together to be his great people. We are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Why? That we may declare his praises and call out to those in darkness and call them into his wonderful light, says one Peter. Once we were not a people, now you are a people of God. Once we had not received mercy, now we have received mercy. We have a great confidence and praise and hope. And then David wants and wants to remind his people, he wants to remind us, God has done for us in the person of Jesus. He has given us a place, a hope, a future. Faith, hope and love, you might remember from 1 Corinthians 13. The greatest of these is love. That love is the unfailing love of God. For God has taken us and made us his. Despite what's happening around us, despite what the situations which lined up against us, the tsunami that might sweep over us, God has us, will always be with us. But in the midst of that terrible terrible struggle and strife, we're to remind ourselves, be strong and take heart, for our God has won. Be strong and take heart because he loves you. He loves you because that's what he did in the person of Jesus. He wants you because that's what he did in the person of Jesus. He brought you to himself 
because that's what he did in the person of Jesus. Be strong and take heart comes not as one some silly one-liner, rather it comes out of the deep reflection of the relationship we have with the God who made us, knows us, and has saved us in Jesus. He's put his spirit within us. We might be well aware of how precious we are. We might always know that in the midst of even great trouble, he is with us, that we are loved, we are his, and we proclaim him wherever we go, whatever we do, whatever we say. We proclaim his greatness and goodness. As David models it here, proclaim, rejoice, be strengthened, but I trust in you, verse 14, Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hands. Let's pray. Now, gracious Father and God, we uh, thank you for David. That's really quite strange in many ways to read Psalm 31 and we suppose we talked about how it uh, all seems to come around quite quickly in so many verses, but we thank you that you've boiled that down for us in, in that inspired writing, how you've spoken to us and shown us that in the midst of great turmoil and strife, you are there. When we are threatened to be overcome, we remind ourselves of your greatness and your goodness and the place we have in you. We remind what you are like. We remind ourselves what you have done for us. Particularly, we remind ourselves of Christ's death, life, death, and resurrection done for us to grab from eternity, to grab us from death and sin and place us in your hands of love and assurance and strength. You put your spirit within us. He lives within us that we might know your transforming love and we might be people who know and proclaim your greatness and goodness, being moulded and shaped in the person of Jesus that you want us to be. This will be our home. But we pray and we know that as we go through this life, we have a refuge and place in you, that in times of great struggle, in times of great need, you are with us and always are there for us. We proclaim our confidence in you, not because we're so great, we're good-looking or talented or have done so many unreal things or given so much money. We proclaim your greatness, your goodness, your love, and we are confident in what Jesus has achieved for us. He did that for us because of your unfailing love, and we rest in it. It is our hope, our strength, our future, and we ask that you would help us to be strong and to take heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.